0: Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Now, we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation. This is our second program in that series. If you missed the first one, you can visit our website, l4ltv.com, click on Previous Programs. There will be a button where you can click, and it'll give you access to all of the programs in this Revelation series. Now, I would suggest you get your Bible, a pen, maybe some paper, and follow along as we continue in chapter one. Last time we left off at verse eight of chapter one. So let's begin now at verse nine of chapter one. We read, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice. As of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded from the, about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So this section of chapter 1, what does it do? It describes the circumstances in which John receives his vision, his visionary encounter with the glorified Christ who commissioned him to write the things he was about to see and then pass them on to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And John begins his story by telling the readers that he was on Patmos because of his faithful witness to the gospel. Patmos was a barren, rocky island in the Aegean Sea, about 50 miles from Ephesus. The island is 16 kilometers long and 10 kilometers across at its widest point. John's experience on on Patmos left marks on the language and the imagery of Revelation. For instance, the tribulation he endured because of his faithful witness to the gospel became a, a precursor of the faithful people's experience in a hostile world throughout history, but especially of the great tribulation the people of God will go through at the end of time. Especially noticeable is the mention of sea or water imagery some 66 times. Expressions like uh, like the sound of many waters evoke the melodic sound of restless sea around Patmos. The area before the throne of God in the visions appeared to the apostle like a sea of glass, like crystal, while the reflection of the rising and setting sun in the sea at Patmos became the source for the metaphor. The sea metaphors eventually shift from positive to negative. Since John was confined to Patmos, the sea became a means of separation and suffering to him, The stormy waters around Potmas became the symbol of the disturbing social and political conditions in the world. The sea is related to the bottomless pit, the abode of Satan and his demons in in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. It is out of the metaphoric sea the apostles saw the beast coming to oppress God's people. So with all this in mind, it is no wonder that in his last vision of the new heaven and the new earth, John first observed that there was no more sea, Revelation 21.1. The text does not refer just to any sea, but to the sea that surrounded Patmos, right? Filling the apostle with a deep longing for a time when the sea would be no more. The absence of the sea on the new earth means the absence of all evil, that the Patma suffering and pain brings in life. The real pain, John felt, was over the condition of the churches. They were located in seven cities in the province of Asia, and they had been deprived of his leadership. He knew of the potential threats to those churches. The situation gradually became destabilized by the increasing hostility of the Roman authorities. There were also some reports that the churches were in dire straits. Most of the churches were divided, while in some churches, the majority of the believers were involved in spreading apostasy. This caused many in the churches to question whether God was still in control and what the future would bring for the church. They were in desperate need of guidance and encouragement, but the apostle could not be with them. His concern for their spiritual welfare was at times overwhelming. John was himself in great distress, and he needed guidance and encouragement. And we should never forget that whenever we find ourselves in our own Patmos experience, surrounded by an endless raging sea, that we are not alone. The Patmos experience always results in the revelation of Jesus. You know, Daniel's Babylonian captivity is what gave us the book of Daniel. John had to go to the island of Patmos for us today to have the revelation of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that visited John on that barren island is the same Jesus who is present with you and I today. And until the end of time, that is his promise. John writes in Revelation 1, verse 10, the first part, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, we do not know how long John was on Patmos before Christ appeared to him in vision. John only briefly states that while he was in the midst of distress, he was taken into vision on the Lord's day. It appears that to John, the Lord's day was a special day. Nowhere does it state what day it was, although first century Christians must have understood it. See, in the Bible, there are two days that are specified as the Lord's day. There's the seventh-day Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and then there's the eschatological day of the Lord when God will bring an end to this world and establish a new order. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord refers exclusively to the second coming. Now, I believe John coined the phrase the Lord's Day to combine these two biblical concepts into one. He is telling his readers that he was taken into vision of that eschatological day of the Lord, you know, to witness the events during the conclusion of world's history and to tell them the vision actually took place on the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, this fits with the portrayal of the final events in Revelation within which the Sabbath plays a central role in the end-time drama. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, we read, You see, while John was in vision, he heard a loud voice speaking to him, and the voice sounded like a trumpet. A trumpet-like voice in the Bible represents the voice of God. But the voice sounded similar to John because it is the same voice he had heard for three and a half years. And when he turned to see the one speaking to him, he saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of them, one like the Son of Man. These were separate lampstands with lights on top, and John later explains that the lampstands represented the seven churches in Asia to whom the book of Revelation was originally sent. The focus of the scene is not on the churches, but on Jesus standing in their midst. The picture of Jesus dressed in priestly robe and walking among the lampstands portrays him as a priest, ministering to the churches and helping them in their needs and circumstances. The scene brings to mind the covenant promise made to the ancient Israel on their way to the promised land. Leviticus 26.12 says, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. Now, in this symbolic walk, Jesus fulfilled this covenant promise. All of this was intended to assure both John and the churches of Christ's presence and his promise to continually be with his people even until the end of time. In Revelation 1, beginning at verse 13 through 16, it says, "...and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow." His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Jesus comes to John as the exalted Lord, yet he appears as one like the Son of Man, that is, like a human this is the favorite designation of jesus however the exalted christ that john sees in his vision has a totally different appearance from the jesus who knew he knew while in the flesh the apostle finds human language inadequate to describe jesus appearance in endeavoring to portray jesus john uses some ancient images and some Old Testament descriptions of God. In applying these Old Testament images of Christ, you know, John uses the words like or as, which suggests a metaphor rather than a literal meaning. Verses 17 through 20, we read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, are the seven churches. You see, Jesus comes to Patmos to provide encouragement for John. John was the pastor of the churches in Asia, and as a leader, he also needed encouragement. Overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord, the apostle collapses at Jesus' feet in awe, just as he had done earlier on the Mount of Transfiguration. Once again, John feels that calming hand of Jesus do not be afraid." By referring to himself as the first and the last, Jesus reveals himself to John as the God of the Old Testament. He is the first and he is the last. He has the last word with regard to final events. As the eternal God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the living one. He is in possession of the keys of death and of Hades. Keys are a symbol of power and authority because Jesus Christ has conquered death. What Jesus did for John, he also did for the churches. The second reason for Jesus coming to Patmos was to give John seven distinctive messages that he was to pass on to the churches. Jesus had full knowledge of the spiritual condition of each church. He knew that the Ephesians were backsliding in love. The the Smyrnians were suffering and in constant fear of what the future would bring. The Christians in Pergamon lived and that the church in Thyatira was divided. He knew of the spiritual complacency of the Christians in Sardis, the spiritual weakness of the Philadelphians, the blindness and the self-sufficiency of Laodicea. Since Jesus knew the particular situations and the needs of the churches, he was able to relate to their circumstances and needs. And addressing and addressing the churches, he introduced himself to each by mentioning some of the characteristics from the composite picture of himself within the first chapter of Revelation. To the church in Ephesus, he comes as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. To the church in Smyrna, he comes as the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. To the church in Pergamum, he comes as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. The church in Thyatira, he comes as the son of God, the one whose eyes are a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze. To the church in Sardis, he comes as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To the church in Philadelphia, he comes as the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of death, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. To the church in Laodicea, he comes as the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In each case, the characteristics of Jesus are related to the particular situations and needs of the churches. For instance, to the church in Ephesus, which was losing its first love and threatened by false teachers. Jesus comes as the one who holds their situation in his hands and who walks in their midst to Smyrna, right? Going through dire persecution, Jesus suitably presents himself as the one who has experienced what they were going through. He gives them the promise of a resurrection. He makes similar promises and presentations of himself to the rest of the churches. Several observations may be made here. And first, Jesus presents himself to each church in a distinctive manner. However, no individual church has the full picture of Jesus. Each receives only some of him. However, all the churches together have the full picture of Jesus. So it's important to keep in mind that the full revelation of who jesus is comes from the whole church of christ not through individuals or factions separated from the larger body of believers furthermore no two churches share the same aspects of christ the obvious reason is that since each church is in a unique situation and has unique needs Jesus is able to adapt to each situation, right? That same concept is observed in the four Gospels. The four Gospels tell the same story of Jesus, but from different angles. As such, each one gives us a distinctive picture of Jesus' ability to meet different and particular needs, right, and as that situation applies to the lives of Christians in many ways. Many Christians today know much about Jesus, but what they lack is knowing him personally. Right, their spiritual lives hinge on someone else's knowledge of Jesus, their parents, their spouse, or their pastors. And the strong appeal of revelation is to consider Jesus personally as the one who meets us where we are. And as the church, you know, proclaims the gospel message to the world, it must follow Christ's way in presenting the gospel message to the world. The focus should be on Jesus Christ. That's the world's greatest need, and to proclaim him in words and in actions. You know, what Christ wants is to reveal himself to the world through us as the only one who can meet their distinctive circumstances and and satisfy their spiritual needs. This is the kind of light Jesus wants to shine through you and I. If we fail in this calling, then we lose. We lose the very reasons for its existence. All seven messages to the church begin alike. They also conclude alike. Each concludes with a personal appeal. The one who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every question, living in a particular church, was urged to heed these messages. Every appeal to the churches also contains a promise to the overcomers. The messages indicate a spiritual decline in the seven churches. The first church in Ephesus is still faithful to God, even though it is not quite what Jesus wants it to be. The second and third churches, Smyrna and Pergamon, are generally faithful. Only a small number of wayward members are unfaithful. Thyatira is a divided church with two phases of its faithfulness to Christ. The fifth and sixth churches, Sardis and Philadelphia, are in very serious conditions. The majority in these churches are out of harmony with the gospel, while the remnant represents the faithful few. When it comes to Laodicea, there's nothing good to be said about that church. It is self-sufficient and indifferent, and it receives a threat. Revelation 3.16 says, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. However, along with the evident spiritual decline in the churches, there is a proportionate increase in the promises Jesus gives. Although each church is in greater decline Compared to the preceding one, each receives more promises than the previous one, right? Ephesus is given one promise to obtain the tree of life. Smyrna is given two promises, to have the crown of life and to escape from the second death. Pergamum is given three promises, to have the hidden manna, to have a white stone and to be called by a new name. Thyatira is given four promises, to have the authority over the nations, to rule over the nations with an iron scepter, to dash the nations into pieces, and to be given the morning star. Sardis is given five promises, to walk with Jesus, to be dressed in white robes, to have their names not blotted out of the book of life, to be acknowledged before the Father, and to be acknowledged before the angels. Philadelphia is given six promises to be kept from the hour of trial, to be pillars in the temple, to never leave the temple, to have the name of God, the name of the city of God, and God's new name written on them. And Laodicea is given one promise, to sit with Jesus on his throne. However, this promise incorporates all other promises that were made to the churches. To sit with Jesus on his throne means to have all these promises. So the increase in promises in proportion to the spiritual decline in the churches brings to mind Paul's statement that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Romans 5, verse 20. It's important to keep in the mind the words of Christian author E.G. White. She writes, The church, enfeebled and defective though it be, is the only object on earth in which Christ bestows his supreme regard. He is constantly watching it with solicitude and is strengthening it by his Holy Spirit. That's in Selected Messages 2, page 296. The church's only hope is in Christ. He knows his people because he walks among them. He cares for them. And and as the church faces all the trials She has the promise of the exalted Christ, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the assurance that as we face life's struggles, Jesus is with us. Thank you for your love, your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Bless each and every viewer, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in the program where we have our special offer. As you know, on each and every program, we like to make a resource available to you to help you just better understand God's word and to Uh, and to encourage you to better understand God's will for your life. And uh, we've secured some copies of this special edition of the Signs of the Times magazine entitled The Great Controversy Between Good and Evil is Nearly Over. And it's got a series of articles in here. uh, It starts with War in Heaven, God Creates Human Beings, God's Rescue Plan, Judging the World, The Final Conflict, and the end of the drama and falsely accused. I think you're gonna find these articles informative and inspirational. And We'd love to send you this as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. There's no cost whatsoever on your part, no obligation whatsoever. This will arrive in the mail postage page. If you're interested in requesting your copy of Signs of the Times Magazine, Great Controversy, PAY CLOSE ATTENTION TO THE INFORMATION WE'RE ABOUT TO PROVIDE YOU.
1: TO RECEIVE TODAY'S FREE OFFER, YOU CAN LOG ON TO THE LESSONS FOR LIVING TELEVISION WEBSITE, WWW.L4LTV.COM. THAT'S THE LESSONS FOR LIVING TELEVISION WEBSITE, WWW.L4LTV.COM. YOU CAN ALSO WRITE US AT POST OFFICE BOX 27030, SIMCOE-CONLIN POST OFFICE, Oshawa, ONTARIO, L1G, 3 And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our one 800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at one 800
0: Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. We've concluded the second program in our Revelation series. I hope you're enjoying that. You know, you can send us a note. You can email me, bill at l4ltv.com and just send some feedback on, you know, what you think of what we've done so far in the book of Revelation. Our plan is to continue uh, and we'll get through as much of the book of Revelation as we possibly can, uh, while we can. And so uh, if you've missed, if you ever missed any of the episodes, this is only the second one, uh, you can go to our website, l4ltv.com, click on the tab where it says Previous Programs, and you're gonna see a button that'll say Revelation Series. You click on that, and that'll take you to a YouTube page where the videos will be there, and you can rewatch them, you can share them with friends and family. And so uh, I would encourage you to, to do that. You know, while you're on the website, you know, you can click over to the page that says Donate Today. Uh, we are a charitable organization. All of the money that uh, is, is committed to the ministry goes back in directly into the ministry to pay for airtime, studio time, you know, uh, the gifts we send out. So if you feel so moved by the Spirit to donate, you can do that on Donate Today. Check out Instagram. Follow me, Santos underscore Bill. Every morning I put out a, a.m. Eastern Time, a quick devotional that gets you focused on things of heaven right at the beginning of the day. We are rapidly running out of time. They're telling me to wrap it. So we got to say goodbye. Hope to see you again here next time. God bless you.